On this episode of the Futures in Digital Learning podcast, we bring you a conversation with Dr. Caleb Simmons. It's a transformative experience. Uh, and part of it is, you know, the, the physical travel. Uh, but a lot of it is just being able to see the world anew and yeah. virtual reality can allow that, you know, that portion um, of it. And so I think that there's, you know, this this nice ability to be able to introduce people to to new things, a new world. Dr. Rob Steffen. Swap out your kind of standard, uh, maybe like panopto style lecture, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're kind of in the box in the corner and you got your PowerPoint slides up right. there. Um, for, for something that, that feels uh, a, a little bit more active, a little bit more uh, engaged and, and more immersive. And Aviva Dory. Even just having that ability to point at something and like walk up to it, right? Like instead of just adding a text box on a static picture, adds a lot to the experience. About the Seven Wonders, a virtual study abroad project they are researching. Join us as we discuss the possibilities of virtual reality, of engaging course videos, and the value of accessible study abroad experiences. Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of the Futures in Digital Learning podcast. We are excited to... Uh, be joining you here today. Um, once again, my name is Adam Davey, uh, Instructional Design Manager with UCAT, and I'm here with my co-host, Brian Hale. Hey, Brian. Hey, everybody. How y'all doing? Excellent. And we are here today to talk about uh, the Seven Wonders uh, Virtual Study Abroad program that um, some folks here at the UVA are uh, working on. And we've got uh, all three of them here today. We've got uh, Dr. Caleb Simmons, Executive Director of Online Education, Dr. Rob Steffen, Associate Professor of Practice for the Department of Religious Studies and Classics, and Aviva Dori, uh, administrative manager with um, online distance and continuing education, um, and welcome. <laughs> Thanks for Thank having you. us. Yeah, awesome. Um, so, first, let's, let's let me just hear like what is this project and what inspired it, um, and you know what uh, you know what have you all done so far to to make virtual study abroad uh, start to happen? I think this is Aviva. Yeah. <laughs> I can kind of jump in here. Um, so we come out of the pandemic and uh, I was doing a lot of um, reading of audiobooks on my drive down the office <laughs> and I started driving again and uh, ended up reading uh, Ready, Player, Ready Player One by Ernst Klein. I was so like, good. wow, this is so cool. <laughs> what if this was real? Um, and so kind of started daydreaming about being able to utilize virtual reality technology, bringing it to um, online students because I was working for online distance and continuing ed. Uh, still am, okay. great place to work. Um, <laughs> and kind of figuring out, you know, I'm really, I had a wonderful study abroad experience in my undergrad. I was very privileged to do so. But how do we sort of bring those globalized experiences to our online student population who don't necessarily have uh, the time or the finances to be able to do that? Um, and so I tapped on Rob and I said, Hey, I've got this crazy idea. Is this something you'd be interested in? And, uh, I was lucky enough. He gave me the time of day and, and hopped on board. And so we essentially started, um, building out an idea of what, uh, sort of taking his existing study abroad course that happens in Greece would look like if we brought it into a virtual reality world. Um, so I was really lucky, um, to also have the ear of the Vice Provost of Online Distance and Continuing Education, 
And then Caleb uh, joined the online team and uh, provided some awesome support there as well. And we were able to get some seed funding. Uh, and so we've essentially started uh, the content creation portion of the program. And so Rob's okay. done a lot of work on uh, the academic side and I'll kind of let him talk about that. Um, and Caleb's done a lot of work on uh, the advocacy side and kind of keeping us rolling along. Um, but we've done uh, two trips to Greece in which we essentially just been recording and creating as much uh, virtual reality content as possible. Uh, coming back, starting the editing process and sort of thinking through the different ways that instruct from an instructional design standpoint and a you know pedagogical standpoint, how to make these um, seven weeks of uh, of coursework, right? Each week is a different wonder or a different archaeological site in Greece. Make them okay. exciting, entertaining, and um, accessible to students. So that's kind of the very umbrella broad <laughs> overview of the project. Okay. Very cool. So, um, okay. So you have filmed stuff in, in Greece, and then it comes back to the students via D2L and um, and how do they experience this? How how does the how does it um, you know kind of transport them to uh, either modern day or ancient Greece? Yeah, so so that's going to be the plan um, is to uh, to run this as a, a kind of uh, asynchronous online course. Okay. Um, and what we're essentially doing is is trying to swap out your kind of standard. Uh, maybe like uh, panopto style lecture, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're kind of in the box in the corner and you got your PowerPoint slides up right. there. Um, for, for something that, that feels uh, a, a little bit more active, a little bit more uh, engaged and, and more okay. immersive. Um, and so we, we shot the thing using one of these uh, 360 uh, cameras uh, on site at a bunch of the different archeological sites uh, in Greece. Okay. Um, okay. And so that's what we were doing out in uh, in December was was kind of going around to all the different sites that I went to when I ran the thing in person, uh, I think five years ago now, and trying to set the thing up to to kind of mimic that sort of experience. Okay. Um, and it was interesting in the sense that like you know some of the stuff works really really smoothly in the sense that like you know you you get to talk about the architecture and the history and the archaeology right. and the iconography and all that stuff. Um, but uh, but it also kind of presents a, a series of challenges that you don't necessarily have in person, right? Like in person, mm -hmm. you get a lot more back and forth and conversation right. and, you know, you repeat yourself and you stumble over your words and it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? Like that's how normal people sound. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then like when you're just speaking into the, the camera in front of these things, <laughs> every little word I would botch, right? Like, I'd be like all right, Aviva, we're going to yeah. start it from the beginning. <laughs> Um, and so, I think you know, the longest iteration we had, you did one that took like 10 takes. And by the end of it, I was just letting the camera roll because you just kept going and going. But for the most part, they were like two or three takes and we were good to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that was kind of the process. And so then students will be able to uh, to basically interact with this in, in several different ways, right? Like kind of different levels of immersion. Uh, because it's, it's shot in 360, right? You could use mm -hmm. a full 360 headset, something like uh, an Oculus Quest oh, cool. um, and experience the whole thing in there. And as you move around, you're going to be able to look at different parts of the archaeological site, the landscape, uh, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, you know, for, for students who maybe want to spend a little bit less on the, the headset front, you can get a similarish kind of experience using kind of the, uh, the, the plastic uh, or cardboard headsets mm -hmm. uh, in your smartphone. 
Um, and then students who get nauseous or, or you know, don't like <laughs> either of those options, you can still watch the thing on your standard laptop or, um, right. or desktop computer and, and drag around uh, as right. I'm, I'm lecturing. So okay. it, it really gives a lot of flexibility to the student as well to kind of engage in the way that they, they find most effective for themselves. And Adam, I, I think your question really gets us to, you know, another part, and it's like more a little bit more broad for online education. And that is like, what parts of the class are like essential that transcend modality uh, versus those that we can lean into particular modalities and enhance? So like the idea of like, you know, replicating a study abroad is like a, an interesting question to right. say, like, right, what is essential for the study abroad and mm -hmm. what can be replicated in online and then what are some tools you can use uh when it's in virtual reality and online that you couldn't have access in person i mean one of them of course is that you don't have to fly and you know burn right. <laughs> uh burn gas and take time away from jobs right. and family so like that's an additive experience but there's other things that can you know you can't pause rob in real life he's going to keep going <laughs> uh but here you can pause go to the restroom so like there's there's some power in that modality and that's the question that we have to ask all the time when thinking about an online learning experience is like what is it that is essential to the to the learning objectives and uh what if because you know if you try to replicate uh something in person like it's going to be a bad online class but like right. linking into the modality i think that's been a fun part of the experience is the the thought the theoretical thought behind it like what is a virtual pedagogy yeah that's that's cool and i i mean i think it's a great opportunity for students to experience these these sites and and these places when not everybody does have access to it, right? Um, and experience it in different ways. Like I said, I think the 360 aspect of it is really cool. You know, I've been trying to get my hands on a 360 camera just, you know, for funsies for a while. So, you know, maybe I'll have to bend your ears a little bit and let me take it out for a spin. But, uh, <laughs> um, but so what, um, I, I guess the, the next question is, you know, how do you, you know, part of a study abroad, right, is the, the um, being immersed in the culture too, um, and and experiencing that, and so in what ways does this help get the students uh, immersed in that culture, uh, you know, virtually? I think this is our biggest challenge. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I think it's something Caleb and Rob can talk about a little bit more um, because they did uh, the second trip, and specifically we're looking at culturally immersive experiences. Um, so I'll let them talk a little bit about that, but I just want to talk, uh, touch on the idea of presence, um, going off of what Caleb's talking about, like the theoretical foundations, right? Meyer and McCransky and digital uh, multimedia learning theories, pedagogical theories, and essentially the research that we read leading up to the creation and, and the development of the project was essentially the more that you can increase the sense of presence, the more students will learn, the better the learning outcomes will be. Uh -huh. And how do you do that when they aren't actually able to interact with the cultural immersion, right? They're not there asking the questions. And so that was definitely um, a, a challenge that I don't know we have perfect answer to yet, but I'll kind of let uh, Rob and Caleb <laughs> jump in with the, the current solution that we got. Yeah, I totally agree that this is like a, a new and interesting kind of fun part to it that like, 
um, is a little bit outside of, uh, you know, my, my specialty as an archaeologist uh, for ancient ancient Greece and Rome. Um, and so, yeah, we were thinking, like, how do you replicate the, the feeling of being there um, in addition to, you know, the historical information of the sites, right? Like, that was kind of straightforward. You right. can go around to the sites. I knew which monuments I wanted to talk about. You know, you'd hit a site, you'd do eight different monuments, and you'd be on to the next one. Um, but yeah, what we tried to do was, was sit down and think through like, what are the types of things we would be doing if we did have a group of a dozen students here uh, in person, and then trying to, uh, to capture that experience uh, digitally and virtually. And then we're in the process now of trying to put it together. And, and so some of those things are, are things that you'd be doing in the modern world, but have some connection mm -hmm. to antiquity as well. So it'd be like, okay. um, you know, something like uh, we we went to see a uh, a potter and vase painter who still oh, cool. uh, paints in kind of the traditional ancient Greek uh, sort of way. And, you know, we just stayed there for four hours and recorded four hours worth of video of him, you know, throwing the pot, painting it, describing uh, <laughs> how he went about doing it, what the iconography was, uh, how his technique overlaps with what was going on in the ancient world and how it differs from that. Uh, and then we're in the, the process now of trying to figure out, you know, how, how do we take four hours of uh, video <laughs> and then condense it down to something that somebody can actually digest in whatever it is, right. five or 10 minutes, um, where they still get a, a sense of, of being there and feeling like a, a part of it. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't think anybody's staying in a headset for four yeah. hours. <laughs> um, so that's another one. Caleb, you can talk about some of the other, the other things we were doing there, too. Yeah, I mean, that's. The, the question is like I can get to the essence of of what we we need to convey to call it a, a virtual reality and honestly we did a lot of hand wringing over this uh, like is it just a a 360 course uh, with lecture material and so we, we did a lot of discussions about like you know if we had to boil down study abroad like what is it and of course you you can go certain directions and say it's like a total sensory immersion uh, that you're smelling you're hearing you're seeing all this constantly um, and that is certainly you know one critical part of it and part that leads to different learning outcomes. Uh, but then you think of like, you know, what are the, the additive things about it? And I think what Rob was, was getting at and uh, what our conversations with that is like, really the thing that we're missing is like the people. Mm -hmm. uh, because really it's that interaction uh, with someone else. And, you know, when we think right. of interaction, typically it's, it's two ways, but in some ways, some of these experiences get at that awkwardness that is so important <laughs> within a, uh, within yeah. a, uh, any sort of relationship. Um, so I, I think that's something we were able to get and something I hope comes across is like, you know, it's it's often Rob or myself interacting, uh, but it's still pretty awkward. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> you get that uh, uncomfortable place, which is where, you know, learning happens. So yeah, there seems to, to clearly be a market for it, right? You, you right. turn on the TV and you can watch travel shows from around oh, yeah. the world. You can watch historical documentaries of people tromping around archeological sites. Um, you know, pe people want to to engage in in this sort of thing. Oh yeah, um, just for fun, right? Like not not right. even for the class. And so the the question is, yeah, is how do we how do we kind of replicate that? Um, so I'm gonna something that's, that's throw something out there, and and you all can roll your eyes or or tell me to you know shut up and and whatnot. But have have you talked or or thought at all about bringing AI into this? Um, and you know maybe even 
uh, and I don't know how this worked. This could be, you know, not even possible, but having some sort of like AI uh, based avatar guide, you know, outside of yourselves that students can ask questions to and interact with and um, have it. So it wouldn't just, you know, fall on the professor, you know, whether it's, it's either of you two um, or, or you three um, at one point kind of needing to respond um, and they can get some sort of like real time interaction. I mean, Adam, if you want to program something yeah. for us, we'll take you up on it. <laughs> all right, if it means I get to like travel to the sites and you know, you know, be there <laughs> with you all, then I'll sign me up. Be, yeah, that's so, a dream. A, a dream. little bit and, of a perhaps a spoiler, but um, you know, at Arizona <laughs> Online, we use a um, a third party vendor uh, that works specifically in AI. It's Juji, um, okay. Juji Incorporated, and so we're working with them right now to integrate a chat bot into our recruitment okay. site. Uh, but the the founder of Juji, who was one of the um, lead engineers on IBM's Watson uh, before <laughs> she started her her own company, uh, has actually asked us to pilot a a few um, in a few courses a basically what she's calling an AITA, uh, which okay. is very similar to like a like a conmigo type <laughs> thing where it's a course specific tutor that's embedded. Um, and when asked for people to partner with, luckily I was able to send her over <laughs> to Rob. Uh, so this is you know, going to be one of the places where we start to pilot this idea, because I think you're right, like you know, interaction is important um, <laughs> and to be able to have some sort of interaction uh, in this will will be additive. I mean, if we could get to the place where it was voice recognized, I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, right now they would have to like, you know, disengage from the 360 and and enter it into to chat. Right. But I think, yeah. you know, this is all stuff that's going to be on the horizon for really delivering more of that immersive experience. And that's I really think cool. we have some tools to kind of start leaning towards what that might look like. Um, for example, there's this really awesome technology called ThingLink which uh, essentially, yep, I see nodding heads. It's a great <laughs> technology where you can essentially create a 3D yeah. environment and then interact with it. Yeah. And so when Rob and I were in some of the museums, we were taking photos, taking 360 photos so that hopefully someday students will be able to virtually walk through these museums. And I know that in ThingLink, they also have avatars, but they're all pre-programmed. <laughs> um, so they just say what, you know, you have programmed, programmed them to already say. So I think there's right. like an idea of what that could look like. Um, but yeah, you know, a few years down the line, I could definitely see that being part of it. So cool. some ideas I'm having hearing all of this right now, um, years ago, years ago, I had to travel to India. And before I went there, I was like, all right, I'm going to immerse myself in the culture before <laughs> I get there. I am not eating McDonald's when I go to India. I'm going to find a restaurant in town, go there and talk to the people there and say, I'm going to be in India for three months, six months, whatever. What, tell me some of the foods I'm going to encounter. Have you, have you thought about um, advising your students? Go listen to module three, go to a Greek restaurant, order some Greek food and then listen to module three or whatever. <laughs> go download Duolingo on your phone and take the first two lessons of Duolingo in Greek to learn some of the language that you're going to be encountering. Um, are you using your phone to kind of supplement what you're doing? Man, we're, we're thinking we, we've got we got big dreams and aspirations. Because <laughs> right? one thing that I would like to do, and I mean, it all depends on on budget, is actually kind of like a lab kit uh, where you know we went to a a, a a beekeeping thing, like to actually have some honey from from Greece, oh. so we could pot or have like 
you know, some small piece of pottery. Because again, it's like gets to like the tactile um, side, the taste, the the smells, being able to have all that, maybe like a, you know, a thumb drive with some Greek music. Like, you know, <laughs> I, you're right. Like the experience is a holistic one. But at this point, you know, starting with the the things that we find the core and then building out. But I, I like where you're heading. You know, this is something that really is, it's a lot more than just listening to a lecture. And I think that's where we've all been kind of ruminating. And, and Aviva has been doing like, you know, the hardcore research behind this to think about like, you know, what it means to be in that space and truly immersed and where's that line. When when you got there, I'm sure you had a plan here in the US. We're gonna go, we're gonna film this with this people. When you got there, did you ever have to look at that plan and go, that's just not gonna work. We've got to punt and go with something different. Tell us about that. I'll, I'll say a little like maybe a little bit, but the thing worked pretty darn smooth uh, in terms of how it all worked, right? So so props to Aviva on this. She put in the, um, there's essentially one uh, uh, kind of form that you need to fill out to get access to be able to film at the different archeological sites in Greece. And then the central kind of archeological authority emails out to the specific sites. And so we, we'd show up, right? And uh, the person at the little kiosk would look at this paperwork and look like, <laughs> They had no idea that we were going to be there and uh, <laughs> uh, went very skeptical. And then they'd go make some phone calls and, and to a T, everyone came back in about 10, 15 minutes and said, like, go right ahead. Um, and so uh, so that I, I honestly thought that worked out pretty smooth. And um, the, the biggest thing I found in terms of the recording was like, again, I, I thought I would just get to the sites and haven't been there a bunch and led a bunch of tours like. I thought I would just, you know, talk normally and do my thing. And <laughs> uh, it would like start out okay, you know, and then I wouldn't know when to, to end what I was talking about. And then I would just start <laughs> rambling on. And the next thing you know, my like two minute spiel was like four and a half minutes. And the last half of it is just totally uh, off topic. And so moving on from there, I realized like I, I got to map this out in a more, more detailed kind of way. So like, you know, Aviva would be driving from uh, Athens to Delphi, and I would be like in the passenger seat taking notes <laughs> about exactly what I wanted to say for each monument. Um, and then we'd get there, we'd film the following morning, we'd drive to the next place, I'd be taking notes in the passenger seat. Uh, but, you know, it, it worked. It, it was a smoother process than I anticipated it to be uh, with with the permits and the, the filming. It, it worked well. And did you get to um involve any of the curators at these sites like interview them for extra special hidden secret tips that nobody <laughs> knows or you know those those little gems that you only pick up from the folks that do this day in and day out things like that so it's not something we had the opportunity to do on on this trip but the the kind of goal is is to kind of layer these things in over time right so like the core of it will be like we've got the archaeological sites we've got those filmed they're going to be relatively easy to edit down because I've been doing a bunch of like two, two minute segments at, at each monument or whatever. Um, uh, but then, then we're going to try to layer that stuff in as we continue to go back. Um, you, you know, we'll have to set those things up specifically ahead of time to get somebody who speaks English. And, uh, you know, oftentimes the, the head of whatever the museum or site is, isn't actually going to be there on a daily basis. So you gotta, you gotta set up a special meeting for that sort of thing. Um, but I think it'd be super cool. 
because they're going to know things about the sites and, and the history of the site and kind of the modern history since it's become a tourist attraction that uh, that even me as like an archaeologist uh, doesn't know off the top of my head. So I, I look forward to, to integrating that sort of thing. Nice. It's good to hear that because I, I think a lot of instructors might look at something like this as a very daunting project, and it is. But to be able to hear, oh, you know, it was a little easier in some aspects than we thought because you were so prepared. I think that is a positive yeah. selling point, you know? Yeah. And I do want to definitely outline that like Rob was a total guinea pig in this process. <laughs> we went with no idea whether or not it was actually going to work. Um, we, I was driving to the airport when I got the approval from the Greek Ministry of Sport and Culture that we could actually go and film. <laughs> we really love waiting till the last minute. So, um, you know, we essentially were like, let's let's set the bar low. Let's just see what we can do. Let's see what we can get out of it. Luckily, by the end of the trip, both of us were like, so happy. It worked. <laughs> um, and then, you know, of course, there's this like long list of just dreams of like, okay, the next time we'll do this. And the next time we'll do this. And so I think, you know, thanks to Rob, the next time we start approaching faculty, we can say, look, we've already sort of started to iron out this process, right? Like, we know that standing five feet from the camera is a good thing to do because if you're standing too close it's a really jarring thing in the headset we know that like if you walk into a frame or you are physically pointing at things right there's different design techniques that we sort of learned um and it's interesting if you watch the uh when we post it you can go and see it but if you watch the lectures in order you can see rob just getting more and more comfortable and us sort of figuring out the different aspects of things um, I will also say that we got lucky because it was a very, like, there was nobody at these archaeological sites. This was low season. There were very few tourists. The only time we really had a lot of people around was in Athens. And so we really had a lot of flexibility to kind of move around, place the camera in different places. So um, we did have that flexibility to just see what would work. And so now we sort of have that foundation. We can have these dreams of, of what comes next. So you're misleading the students to think that these sites are are empty all the time when they go, right? Is that? <laughs> yeah, it was actually yeah. pretty cool. I've actually never been there in, in December, right? Like, yeah. I, I I have a field project in Greece, but it it runs over the summer. The study abroad mm -hmm. program I've done before was over the summer, um, and man, it is awesome to, yeah. to be there. Like in and at a site like Delphi, which is a huge touristy site, right? Like yeah. you go during July. And it's just tour bus after tour bus and it's yeah. still a cool site but like you know you're wading through people on your way up to the temple of apollo and and here it was like i don't know we saw maybe half a dozen people in the i think we saw site. more dogs than we did people <laughs> it was cool like it, that's cool everybody's just planning their trip to greece december is a sweet time to do it <laughs> good to know good to know i'll i'll mark that down um so my my next question kind of goes now to like the technical aspect of it. And so now you have these videos, like where are where are you putting them? Uh, how are you putting them out there for students to to see? You know, you mentioned, you know, being able to to use the the VR glasses and things like that. Um, and, and then like what types of interactions within these videos uh, are there and you know what what can students do with it and what kind of programs are you using yeah so all the editing is happening in adobe premiere pro um okay. 
really awesome tool. Um, I'm yeah. learning a lot as I go. Um, <laughs> we're hoping the idea is to have them all on um, YouTube. Rob actually has his own YouTube channel that has okay. a lot of the lectures. Um, so students can access them in the headsets. That was another challenge we had to think through, right? Like students having to type in the entire title. So how are we going to truncate these titles so that that specific video pops up, right? Um, right now, there's no interaction in the videos. That's sort of the next step is thinking through ThingLink, right? And how we can mm -hmm. sort of introduce that interactivity in the museum space. I will say that there are some existing resources um, out there. For example, um, Delphi did have its own virtual reality tour of its museum. Mm -hmm. The big challenge being it's all in Greek. Um, <laughs> so if we have students that can read Greek, great. I'm going to make an assumption that a majority of them uh, don't read Greek. Um, but even like the major archaeological museum in Athens has a virtual reality walkthrough, right? And so it's also figuring out what already exists that we can tap mm -hmm. into um, that students can be more interactive with. Um, but I know Caleb has a dream of, of doing a lot of 3D scanning in the future so students can actually move artifacts around and interact with them. Yeah, that would be cool. I could yeah, see like I mean, a lot of cool things, you know, being able to like touch some interactions, have another like, you know, almost like you're inside of one of the old uh, VH1 pop-up videos and you get, you get the little bubbles to pop up. I don't even know if this is possible. I'm just throwing ideas out there for you. Take them and leave them. Well, you know, I, I think it's, it's actually it's pretty surprising how like low bar of entry there is for, you know, 3D scans. And so like, you, mm -hmm. know, you have a, an iPad, um, especially one that's updated recently, and it's it's got um, LiDAR in it. And so you can actually make a super high quality, high definition 3D scan in 360 that you can uh, upload to you know a variety of websites and then people can play with it annotate it do all kinds of stuff and you know dive into detail that you can never get actually with a with like your own naked eye in the, in the museum yeah. don't let the ipad get real yeah. <laughs> so it's you know so i think there's you know there's a lot of possibilities with tech uh, just you know part of it is is capacity um because mm -hmm. you know, look around at the people in the project and we've all got day jobs uh, and this is something in, a, in addition to that that's that's cool and a, a neat initiative but uh ultimately like it takes a lot of time and aviva and rob have been very generous with their time on this project well they keep flying me out to greece so i yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's an even trade here you know yeah I, I don't see anything wrong with it drag it out as long as you can rob yeah, like, yeah, i'll, I'll right? play around on adobe premiere <laughs> yeah. scouting locations for our greek <laughs> campus that's right. Yeah. That's right. So, okay. Um, so what's beyond, I, I guess, you know, and maybe you haven't thought about this, but, but thinking about like what you're trying to do, like what beyond just study abroad, what kind of impacts uh, or, or benefits could this possibly have for just, you know, online learning in general um, uh, across the board? I mean, I'll, yeah, this and really, I mean, <laughs> when you think about what online learning can do um, for accessibility for higher education, like there's, you know, accessibility in the broadest terms uh, that people who like just really can't make it to campus 
<laughs> it's it's an amazing resource and then it actually gets exponentially multiplied with the with the people who can't make it to study abroad uh for right. you know all sorts of reasons you look at the demographics and you know it's it's a pretty monochromatic uh group that goes uh on study abroad and that also <laughs> it's pretty monolithic yeah. in its socioeconomic background because it's expensive like if yeah. you have to work you can't go <laughs> yeah. if you have a family you can't go like, you know, there's so there's all these barriers. Um, and, you know, those of us who've either gone on study abroad or led them, it, it's a transformative experience. Uh, and part of it is, you know, the, the physical travel. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of it is just being able to see the world anew and yeah. virtual reality can allow that, you know, that portion um, of it. And so I think that there's, you know, this this nice ability to be able to introduce people to to new things, a new world without requiring the very high bar of entry, which is you got to like have no restrictions, be completely <laughs> free and have thousands of dollars in the bank. Right? right. So if you don't have all those, you can't go with this. As long as you can register for a class, then you're good to go. Yeah, and if you think about cost of entry, right, like study abroad is what close to $10,000 on average right now. And the cost of a headset, cheap ones, you can get one for $250. And, uh, you know, we're also really trying to get a centralized store of headsets on campus so that students don't even have to pay for the headset, right? They can loan it out from the library. Um, so cool. we're even thinking past, like, how do we, we've already created something that's more accessible, but we're not fully there yet. How do we keep breaking down those barriers to just provide more and more access to these students? Yeah. Well, I, I love Caleb's idea of the the kit, the sensory kit. Yeah, that gets sent out. You know, but how cool is that? Here's stuff from far away on our planet, and I'm getting to touch pottery <laughs> and incense and all this other kind of stuff. That's just it's a phenomenal thing. Um, you know, especially it it would have been phenomenal during the pandemic when everything was shut down. Um, you know, to have those things just shipped out to you and and you get to experience them and. And, you know, maybe for a small fee, you get to buy that sensory kit. You don't have to send it back or something. So I'm curious if you uh, have done or are planning to do like any uh, student interviews or collect student data as part of the project to see like kind of, you know, where where their heads are at and, you know, what they're thinking and how you can incorporate any of that into kind of the future plans as well. Yeah, a whole dissertation's worth, actually. Yeah, all right. <laughs> this whole uh, this whole project actually started because I'm a PhD student in the Center for the okay. Study of Higher Education. Okay. And um, yeah, I was just really interested in learning about how students are learning in these spaces. You know, mm -hmm. what are they looking at? What are they talking about in their assignments? You know, what pieces are sticking out to them? Um, so we're going to be doing a pretty... Uh, incorporative, uh, all-encompassing uh, study, hopefully on the first um, pilot of the program, you know, there'll be like pre and post uh, questionnaires and uh, one-on-ones with students. And then we'll also be able to get some information from like a, a weekly reflection journal, right? Um, which is again, something that Rob had students do while he was there. And so bringing mm -hmm. it into the online space, not only is recreating that same feeling that you would get if you were actually on study abroad, but is also providing us with some data that we can look at. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm, I'm super excited to, to uh, survey the students as well yeah. and, uh, in a you know more formal kind of way mm -hmm. than just asking in class, but, but going through the whole IRB process and, and getting yeah. that data and uh, being able to, to crunch the numbers. And I think it's really exciting just because like 
I personally, I, I just have no idea, like kind of how students yeah. are going to respond, right? I think it sounds really cool. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and virtual reality has kind of been slowly making its way into slightly more mainstream type things. Um, but it hasn't taken over everything yet, right? Like, mm -hmm. and uh, so I'm interested to see whether like, you know, we come out of it and students are like, wow, that was like the coolest thing ever. Or whether they're like, hey, that is cool, but I'm watching it on my my computer screen just because it's easier um, or like right. some sort of mix between it. Um, like, it's just one of those things where I, I legitimately don't know what the answer is going to be. And yeah. I'm <laughs> excited to, to find out. Well, I think one of the interesting things um, and one of the positives is that for this project, you have Rob doing the talking because he's an animated personality. <laughs> because yeah. you, you, if you want to sink the ship, put a walking ambient pill in front of, you know, <laughs> Coliseum. people are going to tune that out. But if you've got somebody that's excited and engaged yeah. and wants, to, you can hear and see that they want to transfer this information to their students. That is a big, you know, you can forgive a lot of stuff if you've got an excited, animated personality bringing that to you. So bad audio, bad video, whatever, you know, if you've got that great personality sharing stuff, that's a big, big win. You know, yeah, that we, we get to go study engagement. some of the coolest things in the world, right? And uh, if, if I can't get excited about it, why should the students be excited about it? And the nice thing is it really does come across in the videos themselves, right? I, I was recently going through and, you know, you go through every single video you took, take one, take two, take five, right? And um, even when Rob gets frustrated, he's like, all right, we'll just start over. It's going to be okay. So it's like hard <laughs> to be, like, you, you just, it's naturally engaging. And and so I, I brought a rough draft of whatever, like sizzle reels to the vice provost who gave us the seed money. And he was like, wow, you picked the right guy. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> What's interesting about it? Oh, go ahead, Rob. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say that, and actually, it comes across more in the uh, virtual reality than even in the in the regular two D like studio. Because I, uh, I think many of us on this call have seen uh, Rob's lectures, and if you have it and you're just listening in, uh, go to his his YouTube and and watch some of them. Uh, and you see it there, but whenever you can actually get him in space. Uh, you can actually see really it, it is more dynamic. And in this way, like, you know, it's part of the, the virtual experience is you actually get to interact with someone um, from head to toe instead of from navel <laughs> to head, right? And there's actually, you know, you that movement in space winds up being something that really conveys a lot of information about the landscape, about, you know, how things are directed in, in space and oriented toward one another. So that animation that Rob brings comes across, um, actually like more holistically for the learning experience and the virtual <laughs> modality which is also backed up by research right like one of the <laughs> studies i read recently yeah. pretty much looked at virtual worlds and said okay we're gonna put a text box on something we want students to look at in one iteration and we're gonna have the instructor in the video point at this thing that we want students to focus on and the students who were involved in the pointing in the interactive video retained the information much more than just the text. So even just having that ability to point at something and like walk up to it, right? Like instead of just adding a text box on a static picture adds a lot to the experience. 
it's good to know them and let me just take some notes and inform all yes. my instructors to point at things in their lecture videos from now on. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna bring uh, it up though. We gotta yeah. we gotta do the equity like for the folks who can't get yeah. those things, you know. Um that that is one of I think the hardest things mm -hmm. to take into consideration when you're designing something like this. You're doing all of this visual work. How do we translate that into um, an equitable experience for the folks who have visual difficulty? Um, mm -hmm. And you know you can do that with descriptive audio. Um, you can uh, incorporating some kind of screen reader software that explains. Um, I just found out recently about um, the descriptive audio when watching um, the latest Star Wars series on TV. They describe things that you don't even see on screen, but that the writers have put in the script or whatnot. And once you hear it, you look at the screen and you kind of go, oh, yeah, okay, that was there and I just missed it. Okay, now I'm going to have to watch all these episodes all over again. <laughs> No, you, you bring up a good point, Brian, because I, you know, this is something that I, I've thought about a lot, too, because, uh, you know, I when as I talk about accessibility, like that's a big part of this is like, you know, it, a lot of the sites that uh, Rob and Aviva and myself went to, like, it, if you were in a wheelchair, they're not accessible. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, we are leaning into a modality that is, you know, heavily, you know, sort of ableist for people who don't have any, any, um, visual impairments so it is you know while, you, while you're solving one thing you're winding up you wind up like creating another uh and so like it is something that we are going to have to tackle because that's the goal is to you know, make higher education accessible for everybody uh, and so you know how do we do that in this space and you know, maybe it's with you know not only having descriptive audio but also spatial audio which is something that we started with and it was a little difficult so in the second iteration really went out the window uh, but, you know, all those things are, are very important to continually think about because you don't want to continue to marginalize any population when you're uh, making, you know, headway with another. I think this is a space where Caleb's ideology around 3D scanning could also be really mm -hmm. effective, right? Like creating a 3D scan box for students who have visual impairments so they can actually feel what the artifacts would feel like. What's a miniature model of the Parthenon look like and be able to use their hands to see. You know, in, in 10 years from now, when we have haptic gloves, be able to actually put your hand <laughs> up against, you know, the polygonal wall, right? And so the technology is getting us towards being able to create more inclusive spaces. But this was something that was a little bit of a roadblock in the beginning was like, how do we make this accessible for all students? And I don't know that it is going to be perfectly accessible for all students, but even if you were a visually impaired student going to the Parthenon, they wouldn't let you walk up and put your hand on it, right? Um, so how can we utilize this technology to also allow for greater interaction in a way that's not actually going to damage any artifacts? That's an awesome idea. Yeah, let's use our 3D printing farm over in the library and, and yeah. build some stuff and send it to folks. Exactly. That's a great idea. Yeah. Well, this is all very cool, and I'm uh, very excited to see how this turns out. Um, I hope you you will all you know keep in touch with us and and let us over at UCAT know what's going on and uh, and how we can support you and you know if you need to fill up those sites with some more people so it looks like there's a lot more tourists there <laughs> uh, 
you know, I, I think we'll we'll gladly accommodate that. It's very generous of you. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll have to do a, a you know a follow up episode once once the thing's yeah. live and we got some feedback right. from students and stuff. We'll, uh, we'll have to do this. Oh again. yeah. Yeah. Adam, definitely. your point's actually funny though because in a lot of the videos, it's a bit of a "Where's Waldo?" as in "Where's Eva?" Because <laughs> Rob is talking to the camera, and I'm either hiding behind a tree or a stone that was put there a thousand years ago. Sometimes I'm just like floating in the background so if you uh have well, a chance to watch the videos you, you can play the game you got built-in extra credit there for the yeah. students too <laughs> they can find aviva in all the videos um awesome well yeah we will definitely you know once uh you know once you you've kind of fully launched and got some more student data and things we'd love to do a follow-up episode for sure um but thank you all for joining us i i think this is a really cool idea and you know i i can't wait to see to see it all come to fruition um, you know, especially that that uh, 3D AI avatar that's uh, I know is coming, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, oh, hey, yeah, well, thanks for the invite. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, we need yeah. to know your YouTube channel. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll, oh, yeah. I'll send you guys an email and we can uh, put it up with the uh, the podcast. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, thank you all again, and and thank you to those listening for joining us uh, on this episode of the Futures in Digital Learning podcast. Uh, come check us out next month. Thank you. The Futures of Digital Learning podcast is a production of the University of Arizona University Center for Assessment, Teaching, and Technology. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas you'd like to share with our office, go to the Contact Us link on our website, ucatt.arizona.edu.